0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro recharge kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Swinging a
1: high fly, swung away. on high. This slide. is tagged, hammered to the gap at the track, high and deep at to the right. Ball. That ball just got it's out. of was here. hit a This going to go to the rock ball's getting small. This is charged. back at the track. Seems like the ball's had a lot of life the last couple of nights. He could go back to back. Here's Adam Engel swinging a long one to left. We're going to have a tie ball game. He did go back to back. High and deep. This is crushed to left center field. This is going to go for a home run,
2: way out of here. This is White Sox Weekly. Here's
1: the 2-2 pitch, high and deep to left field, way back off of the bat of Anderson. Goodbye, baseball. Swinging a long one to the left. That's way gone.
0: And for Eloy, that's his 28th home run. That one's smacked into a deep center field. That's going to send Wade back. Still tracking at the wall. It's gone. Zach Collins dead center
2: field. The Chicago baseball conversation on the flagship home of the Sox. 720 WGN.
3: White Sox weekly. 720 WGN. Second to last weekly of the 2019 season. Kind of hard to believe. It always flies by, right? Mark Harmon with you until 6 o'clock tonight. As we have a very busy show for you today, Justin Jersley is going to join me in a matter of moments, the manager of your Winston-Salem Dash. We're going to talk to Jonathan Stever, who pitched at Kannapolis in Winston-Salem this year. And then we'll pick it up with Blake Rutherford, who... Spent his year at double A Birmingham and now is playing in the Arizona Fall League, which is the league that the top prospects in baseball play in. So, getting to compete against baseball's best here as that season goes until the end of October. A reminder as we get White Sox weekly underway here Michael Kopak is growing out his hair. To benefit White Sox charities and the Ronald McDonald houses of Chicago and Northwest Indiana, you can help donate to the cause by entering Kopech's Big Cut, K-U-T, sweepstakes to win autographed items and the ultimate grand prize, a VIP experience at Sox Fest, which includes lunch with Kopech. Visit WhiteSox.com slash to enter now through September the 30th. As we start out the show here, let's bring in Justin Jersley, manager of your Winston-Salem Dash. You got, you got the bump up from Cannapolis to Winston-Salem this year, Justin, and uh, I guess that's the same thing, but was there any difference for you managing the Dash as, far as uh, versus managing the Intimidators?
4: Um, yeah, you know, not really much of a difference there for me as far as my job and uh, the daily needs and the, the daily grind of the, the workload there. Um, just making sure you know guys are in the right spots at the right times, and uh, making sure everybody's getting their work done and and getting their work in properly, and they're they're staying as healthy as they can, and um, you know just really mainly trying to trying to get. Keep guys getting better and, and, like I said, getting their work in and, and ultimately keep them moving up the ladder to help us in Chicago.
3: Well, you had a lot of guys move up the ladder, and uh, let's start at the top. It's kind of hard to believe, but Luis Robert was actually with you at the start of the year and uh, in his incredible journey. What did you love most about Luis at the start of the season?
4: Uh, just being able to put him in the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was just – it was incredible watching – Everything that he was he was able to do there for us for the for the short period of time that he was with us in Winston-Salem. Um, you know, just just a tremendous toolsy player. Tools across the board, obviously, they speak for themselves. Um, but to be able to put him in the lineup every night for the first few weeks and, and just watch what he's able to do and, and the way he goes about things and, and everything that he's capable of, of doing on the baseball field and, and the way he can change a game in so many different ways on a nightly basis. Um, again, it was just a pleasure to, to have him on our side and and sit
3: back and kind of watch um,
4: the the superstar um, in the making.
3: I love that. Let's let's just get that out there. Superstar in the making. What do you think White Sox fans should be looking forward to most seeing him at, at Guaranteed Rate right Field last next year? Because. Everyone knows he's going to be there. It's just a matter of when. What do you think they'll be seeing? The, what do you think they'll enjoy the most outside of, I don't know, the speed, the power, so many things that this guy's got?
5: Um, I think,
4: you know, he, he's, he's really it, – it's kind of gotten overshadowed. He's really grown um, as a person with his English, um, you know, and, and just listening to him talk to his teammates. And um, you just kind of see him having, having a lot more fun. Uh, this past year for the, for the little amount of time that he was with us, um, just really growing as a person, like I said, and, and kind of getting acclimated more and more every day to our culture here in America. Um, I think that it really helped him, you know, obviously between the lines, um, on a nightly basis as well, but, um, you know, just his interviews and, and the way he, the way he goes about his business and, and just little things. He's, he's a really funny, funny guy, um. That it's it's just fun to see him interact with his teammates in that way, and um, you know he does. He has a lot of fun out there, and so I mean, besides you know putting the putting the tools aside and, and everything that he's capable of doing on the field, um, that's that's something that stands out for me.
3: Justin Jersley, manager of the Winston Salem Dash, We're talking about Luis Robert right now. Was he coached to do that, Jers, or was he just was he? Was he I'm just wondering. Hey you need to learn the language, it'll help you, or was that something he took on himself?
4: Um, you know, everybody that comes over, uh, whether it's from the Dominican or Venezuela or, you know, wherever they come over from um, at, a, at an early age, they're all given, um, you know, classes and, and, and a lot of help with, with learning, learning the English language um, through, through our minor league system. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, these guys, they, they got to want to do it, too, as well, you know, and, and want to put in the time and the effort to learn it. Um, and, and he was one of those guys that really wanted to learn it and, and knew, knew it was going to help level, take his game to the next level, um, you know, and he did. He put the time and the, and the work in, and, and he, really, uh, he really made some big-time strides from the first year to last year as far as learning the language and, and being able to communicate better with his teammates and coaches.
3: Yeah, just seems important. Let's talk about Nick Madrigal. You had him for 107 plate appearances. He struck out only five times in those 107, which is standard Nick Madrigal, in- incredibly impressive. Every time I've talked to him, Jersh, it's like he's completely on point. This is what I'm going to do today. And I'm going to do it right, and then tomorrow I'm going to do it one tenth of one percent better is it, it, it just and then at the end of the year, the guy's super clutch at triple A going five for five in the final game when they're battling for the playoffs. I, I'm curious what you appreciated most about Nick.
4: Yeah, just a, a again, a, a true professional. Um, you know, the, the way he carries himself, kind of a um, you know, an unspoken leader in a sense of you know, not not the rah rah type guy, but the way he goes about his business, teaching and every day starting at you know one o'clock in the afternoon first guy there last one to leave type type clubhouse character um you know just just the way he goes about his business and 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 how he works day in and day out and has his routine um you know guys look up to that and and guys see the way what he puts up at at night at 705 but also again like the work that he puts in um and his routine his daily routine starting at three o'clock when he gets on the field um you know, speaks volumes to, to what he's able to accomplish, you know, going into games each and every night. And he's very prepared. He's obviously an extremely intelligent baseball IQ um, type player. So, you know, another guy that he loves having on your team that, that you're able to kind of sit back and watch in a sense because, you know, it's not a guy that needs a ton, a ton of coaching um, because he's got a lot of the game figured out and he just lets his instincts take over.
3: Do you have a comp for Nick does any does he remind you of anyone? I mean I think you know
4: the biggest obviously comp you know for that that I've heard from a lot of different people size-wise is, is Altuve, right? I mean yeah it's kind of hard to not comp a guy two guys of of that size together. Um you know and and I say that size I'm that size as well. <laughs> but uh you know so there's there's no hard hard feelings there on that but um yeah, no, it's it's tough, you know. I think I think a lot of times we get into we get into comps and whatnot, and, and some of these guys just need to be their own their own, you know, players and and worry about what they can do on the field rather than trying to compare themselves to, you know, some of these big league guys that are already established and and have you know so many more at bats at the major league level.
3: Madrigal was struggling too at the beginning of the year, and then he, he broke out of it. And when I talked to him, he kind of was bothered by the question. Like, look you're not down here. You're not seeing what's going on. I'm hitting the ball hard, but it's going right at people. I mean, but for me, uh, you know, from a distance, it's impressive. Even if that was going on, that you're able to get yourself out of it and not let it snowball. Like what, what, what was his character like during that time period?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he knew it. Everybody knew it. You know, he was going through one of those stretches where, um, just, just squaring the ball up and and squaring it up right at people, you know, and, and just a lot of conversation about, hey, you know, this just because you, the, the box score isn't showing two, three, four hit, hits in the hit column every night um, doesn't mean you're not putting together good ABs and and having some good games and and, and really, you know, taking that next step for us um, as an organization and, and you as a as an individual. Um, so it's just kind of staying with staying with the. With the with the program there on, um, you know, not getting wrapped up in the results too much, as hard as that is, um, but but continuing to put the bat on the ball and, and find the barrel, um, and hit balls all over the field, on the nose, um, you know, for him that's the most important thing, and he did that, um, and and he stayed with it. He didn't he didn't let himself get too down. Um, he just he he kept his nose down and kept working, kept working, and uh, stayed with his routine and. Obviously, as we know, got himself out of it, and, and, and the results started showing up more and more, and got himself to Birmingham.
3: George Sitsai, we got to take a quick time out here. I want to continue with a bunch of you guys, including the pitching staff, coming up next. This is White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Join us for the final Family Sunday of the season. That's Sunday, September 29th. Sox and the Detroit Tigers. First pitch is at 2:10 this coming Sunday. Get lower-level tickets for as low as $15, and parking for just $10. Family Sundays proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Grab an ice cold Coca-Cola and enjoy the game. Visit whitesocks.com/sundays to purchase your tickets today. Let's bring Justin Jerschley back in here, the manager of the Winston Salem Dash, and we've talked about Luis Robert. we've talked about Nick Madrigal. Let's move on to Andrew Vaughn. White Sox first-round draft pick, number three overall out of Cal, and here's a guy who's got some power and also has a great command of the strike zone for a young guy here, not striking out a ton, drawing a bunch of walks. I'm assuming that uh, Andrew impressed you big time, Jersh.
4: Yeah, I think just his approach at the plate. Um, You know, you hit the nail on the head there with the numbers, Um, but, you know, just just watching his at-bats each and every day you know, there's times where he can get himself down 0-2, 1-2 pretty quickly, and um, you, you know he's still in that at bat. You know, there's a lot of times guys get down, get down, and get behind in and, and some bad hitters' counts early, early on in the at bat, and you think, okay, there, this is this this one's going south in a quick hurry here. Um, it, that's never the case for him. You know, he's he's always got a chance to do damage, regardless of counts, um, and and he knows that, and, and the confidence level is extremely high there for him. Um, in any hitter's count or, or pitcher's count, if you will. Um, so you know, just just to watch the confidence there and, and the idea of of staying with his approach, regardless of what that guy throws to him, um, he knows he's he's got a chance to do damage at any at any given pitch, um, and and he stays with that. Just a real professional approach out of him, uh, and and it's obviously fun to watch.
3: Interesting guy, California kid. Did he? Try to take you out fishing? <laughs> no, he didn't. We we
4: talked fishing a little bit. Um, you know, I tried to get him on the hunting side of things, but uh yeah, he's he's stuck in his ways with fishing.
3: <laughs> that that seems like a battle between player and skipper and I think the player's gotta give in there. You're the manager.
4: <laughs> no, Andrew's he's a he's a you know, that's that's another thing that's kinda of behind the scenes is is he's a tremendous person. Um, you know, and really all three of these guys that we've talked about are, are great people, and, and that's a testament to, to who who we have bringing these guys in at the top of our organization and, um, you know, just great character people, and, and we got them from top to bottom in our organization.
3: Talking to the White Sox, uh, Winston-Salem-High-A manager right now, Justin Jersley on 720 WGN. It's White Sox Weekly. Who surprised you the most this year, Jersh? I mean, who jumped up that you perhaps didn't see coming? Um,
4: you know, I think we had a few different guys, um, you know, on the, on the offensive side of things, you know, Craig Dido hit 17, 18 home runs. Um, you know, he, he showed some, some, some good power signs there, um, plays a good outfield and, um, can run a little bit at times. And, and so he was, he was a guy for me that, you know, kind of stood out and, and had a pretty good year. Uh, Carlos Perez behind the plate, another, another guy that's, You know, not on all the prospect boards and and things like that, but just does a lot of the little things behind the plate and calls a good game and and can really catch and throw it and and squares a lot of fastballs up as well. You know, he he had a real good offensive year for us, um, worked his way to the middle of the order and and was a key key contributor down the stretch for us uh, when we needed it. And, and you know, on the pitching side, you got guys like Will Cannon, who who had a real solid year, sub two ERA all year for us on the back end of that bullpen. Um, very reliable arm, power arm. Um, Luis LeDo, you know, another guy, a big power arm. Um, kind of came into his own a little bit this year, gained some confidence, and um, put together a good year. So there were there was you know there were some under-the-radar type guys that uh, had some really, really solid years for us and, you know, just looking for them to continue to take that next step.
3: Yeah, when you say guys like that, I'm thinking of who could be the next Danny Mendick, 26-round draft pick, not highly promoted. Uh, You know, no one thought that he'd be in the big leagues right now but just kept working and working and working and can play multiple positions. Guys like that are valuable who come ready every day and can do a lot for you. So I I don't know... if there's there's somebody that falls under that umbrella but that's that's kind of how how i'm you know just thinking about who you're naming right
1: now
4: yeah absolutely you know there's not really one name that sticks out to me like a danny mendic um obviously had the had the pleasure of being a hitting coach for him um three four years ago now it was in Canapolis, but uh you know just a, a pleasant surprise to see him work his way to chicago um you know this year and, and everybody i think can can speak to to being extremely happy for him to finally get there and then make a dream come true. But you know, I think we got a decent amount of guys that could be like Danny. Um, again, you know, it's a testament to to the higher ups and, and who we've brought in into our organization and the lower levels of the minor leagues. And um, you just never know. Um, obviously, who can who can fill into that role of the Danny Mendick. The Danny Mendick passed to the major leagues. But, um, you know, again, I think we got a few guys that, that, that it could happen for. Us.
3: We're talking to Jonathan Stever coming up here, Josh, uh, and he's at a breakout year as well. Um, some, you know, people writing about the team are saying, quote, unquestionably the breakout prospect of the White Sox. Uh, so here's a guy with uh, 12 starts for you, a whip under one, which is impressive 77 Ks, 13 walks. Uh, I. ERA in the low twos, 22 years old. This could be a guy that we might see here at Guaranteed Right Field, it sounds like.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, a Wisconsin kid, so we know he's a, he's a tremendous character kid. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> I had to get that in there, but, no, um, obviously he's a great kid, um, you know, and then you see what he what he put up at two levels in Canapolis and Winston-Salem this year, had a tremendous year, put himself on the map, you know, and um, – just the guy that's going to grab the ball every five days and and give you everything that he's he's possibly got that night. Um, You know, and and it was good to see him some nights when he didn't have his best stuff and and how he became a pitcher and kind of evolved into, you know, okay, I can't just get away with throwing fastballs by guys. Okay. I'm going to have to pitch tonight a little bit and, and, you know, find a way to get to that fifth, sixth inning to roll it over to the bullpen and um, just that type guy that you want in there every fifth day to, to give you a chance to ultimately win the ball game that night and, and see him grow as, as a pitcher as well. It's fun to see.
3: Yeah. I, I just want to name a couple of things before we let you go here. And Number one, you're, what, 29 years old right now? Am I right? Yes. Okay, and it's your third season managing, which is – you're on the fast track here, George. This is impressive. I mean, I'm sure there's part of you that would prefer to be playing, and you actually played for the Dash back in the day, not that long yeah. ago, and now you're the skipper for them. So you're you're on a unique path here. I mean, and I know that you the guys clearly respect you a ton, uh, but this it's it's does it f- still feel weird to you that you're look? I, I'm not even 30 years old, and I, and I'm in my third year managing. That's that you don't see that every day.
5: <laughs> yeah, I
4: mean. You know, get get the question often, but you know, I answer it the same way every time. To be honest with you, I really don't feel um, any different uh, age-wise. You know, obviously sometimes it you kind of look across and, and there might be a guy who's you know on his 25th year managing or whatever in the other dugout that you're managing against or whatever it may be. But you know, for me, I, I get up every day. I know I have a job to do, and um, that's ultimately to help these guys continue to grow and develop. Um, to hopefully help us someday in the major leagues in Chicago. Um, so, you know, I think I think going going with that route and and, and having that mindset kind of kind of keeps me away from oh okay I'm young and you know I'm not technically supposed to be doing this because I'm the youngest and things like that. Um, just just waking up every day and knowing knowing what the job I have in front of me and and just continuing to grow as a as a manager individually and and continuing to learn from from my peers and great coaches
3: that we have in this organization. Well, you had a, from, from my seat over here, it looks like a pretty darn good year. Just 10 pitchers, four position players, got promotions this year. You brought in uh, 13 new pitchers and 11 hitters to the highest levels of their career. So a lot of movement uh, as per always, but uh, you know, guys moving along and guys getting welcomed in and you're in the middle of all of it. When will you learn your plans for next year?
4: Uh, not sure. Don't know on that. Um, you know, obviously instructionally is going on right now and, um, I'm sure there's some moving parts and things that have to happen yet, but, um, you know, I, w- I would think within the next few months, we, w- we would start to hear some stuff on, on assignments for next year.
3: So you're not ready to go anywhere, are you? You're not, you're not leaving the White Sox organization.
4: Absolutely not. And as long as they want me, I, I want to be a White Sox, uh, as long as I possibly can, I'm very grateful for you know them to give me this opportunity to to be a young manager and continue to grow in my my individual career.
3: I just wanted to get that on the record here, just you know, let make sure the, you know, <laughs> the bosses are listening. We got it. We got to get that down. <laughs> hey, always good to talk to you. Thanks for the time. Congrats on uh, that Badger win yesterday. Smoking the Wolverines. That made most of the Midwest happy. I know it. Uh, I don't. I know it didn't bother you either.
4: Absolutely. Go Bucky. And thanks again for having me.
3: Our pleasure. Justin Gersley on 720 WGN.
2: It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. 720 WGN.
3: 720 WGN catching up with one of the White Sox prospects who had a great season, Jonathan Stever, the right-handed pitcher who is out of Wisconsin, but went to Indiana and now, of course, uh, finishing up his year with the Winston-Salem Dash. You you were a football guy sort of first, though, weren't you, Jonathan? Like, you, you played, uh, what, both sides in high school? Is that right?
6: Yeah, I played offense and defense. And, you know, I was big into football growing up, um, like a lot of people are, in Wisconsin. So I was able to do that in high school and then also play baseball. But when it came down to it, you know, I chose baseball.
3: Yeah. Did uh, you watch any of Wisconsin and Michigan
6: yesterday? Yeah, it was a great win. I was I was pumped, a little nervous before the game, just you never know, because they hadn't really faced too many. Two teams before that weren't great, so it was going to be a big test, and it was just awesome to watch, just really dominate the whole game.
3: Yeah. How did you decide on baseball over football?
6: Um, I think just longevity-wise and, you know, just trying to have a future in one of the two, um, like, professionally and beyond. You know, I think baseball was just the decision for me, and I was just I wasn't as good as baseball at baseball, probably like earlier in my uh, like growing up in middle school and stuff. So I kind of had to develop more, but I knew in the long run that uh, baseball would be my choice.
3: Interesting. So you are still doing that right now? It's you. You've had a very interesting season. You you started out at Canapolis. You have an ERA up close to five, that's one stat, Good. but Chris Getz is, and, and a bunch of guys I guess are, are looking at you, realizing you're pitching better than your numbers indicate. You get promoted, and then you have a great year, numbers-wise and everything else, at Winston-Salem. Did you, Were you surprised when they told you you were moving up?
6: Um, A little bit. You just never know, just because, like, like you said, it wasn't great looking just at the, the stat lines, but... I more just didn't help myself out a lot of times um, in those situations. You know, just bad pitch selections on my part, just not executing like I could. And then, I was able to get promoted and then just sort of things just more fell into place after that. It gave me a little confidence boost um, going into the second half of the season, which helped.
3: Everyone's saying that your fastball is, uh, I guess maybe the delivery's a little smoother, so you're throwing it a little bit harder than you were before. Is that
6: accurate? Yeah, just, you know, working on my direction to home plate was a big emphasis um, right when I got to Winston especially, and that was kind of where we wanted to start and sort of build off of that. So once I was able to get that cleaned up a little bit, um, things just started to fall into place. I was able to repeat a little bit better and you know, have my fastball play more up in the zone.
3: How hard is that to do, though? You're used to throwing it one way and then, hey, try this. That can't be easy. Yeah,
6: it, it it was a constant battle I've had in my mechanics. It's kind of just like a, a bad habit I get into of just throwing kind of across my body a little bit. So I, I've, it's something I've always tried to work on and then it, almost, it got to a point where we, like playing catch. I over exaggerate coming open so much that it would almost correct itself a little bit. So it was just getting a little out of my comfort zone, but it was, it was a, change I knew I needed to make in order to, uh, you know, better myself.
3: Yeah. Yeah. How much credit does your pitching coach at uh, Winston-Salem get for all this? Matt Zaleski.
6: Uh, oh, a ton. I mean, he is the one that showed me all of the different drills I should be doing and kind of, you know, sat me down a little bit more and was like, hey, like, we're just not making smart pitches <laughs> in your counts and everything. Like, pitch to your strengths more. Um, and so, really, we were able to just hammer that and start pretty simple, just fastball, curveball, and then just have success with that and just build off of that rather than trying to, you know, learn to throw four four pitches. So just be just able to simplify things.
3: Well, and you used to be a reliever, right, in college. You started as a reliever, but now you're a starter, and you, you, you can't have two pitches as a starter, right?
6: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, in my freshman year, I was a reliever at college. Um, we had a very mature pitching staff that year, so, you know, there wasn't really any starting innings to be had. But I knew – Going forward, that starting would be you know where I'd where I want to be and just work at work as a starter as long as I can.
3: So apparently, they call you Verlander in the clubhouse, and you don't necessarily uh, want to uh, be be compared to him. I I read that piece uh, James Vegan in the in the Athletic put yeah. that in there. So I got to ask you about it. That is that an uh, idol? Yeah, well,
6: what? <laughs> well, it, yeah, it is an idol. Sorry to you off.
3: Yeah, I mean this is a compliment and you, you don't need to be embarrassed yeah. that that uh, that's a guy that you look up to. And, and Verlander, that's a pretty good guy to try to emulate. He's had an unbelievable career and he's, in, and it's amazing what he's doing at the end of his career right now.
6: Yeah. I mean, growing up, that's a guy you watch. I mean, they just kind of threw the name around for fun more so than anything else. So just, and like just a couple of guys, it, it got to stick a little bit. And that was kind of like almost like a running joke um, for guys to me, just to say that, but I mean I don't compare him he was one of the greatest pitchers so I don't really compare myself to him you're also
3: being compared i guess to to Dylan cease from a you're a very focused guy when you're out there is it is that kind of your thing where you're sort of dialed in you don't have any let any other noise get you when you're when you're in the moment and you're on the mound
6: yeah it's something that's kind of been ingrained in me from college and just everything it was you'd say control like what you can control and just really be focused on anything that you can do rather than the outside stuff. And so I you know pitching is tough enough as it is to where if you start getting distracted by, you know, an umpire, or just a bad bounce or something, you know, things can just spiral out of control pretty quick, but just being able to, you know, take a step back and just focus on whatever you need to do rather than worry about other stuff.
4: Yeah.
3: What was the atmosphere like in Winston-Salem this year? I mean, Jersh is, uh, yeah, twenty nine year old manager. You've yeah. got you got a ton of talent flying through there. You had the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, first round draft pick making his appearance. Uh, Andrew mm-hmm. Vaughn hitting hidden ball seven hundred feet. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like there's and a lot of guys moving up and uh, and around. And you, you of course, coming up later in the season. How how would you just mm-hmm. you know what what the whole environment of the team was like?
6: It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. A really really great group of guys. You know, Josh, younger manager. You know, we could really relate. To you because he was just in our shoes a few years ago. So he really knew just like the ups and downs of the season. Like, just we really kept things loose. And, you know, the guys in the locker room, too, it was always very upbeat and positive.
3: Do you stay with a family? How does that work?
6: No, we did. We uh rent through an uh, an apartment. Uh, All all the guys lived at like the same complex and everything. So, wow. Kind of shuffle in and out as guys can move up and down. So
3: you see him at the park and you see him at home. Who's that? (laughs) I'm saying you go to the park, you see everybody, you go go home, and and they're your
6: your neighbor too. Exactly, yeah. You're you're with them all the time.
3: (laughs) Uh, This this seems – sounds like fun, kind of sort of (laughs) collegiate-like. It
6: was a great – yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's just – it's different. You know, guys, some of them are living, you know, it's not the greatest living conditions, but, you know, you're just with guys just having a good time. I mean, it's a lot of fun.
3: Do you feel – I don't know, more mature because you went to college and some guys are coming right out of high school. How does that all get boiled into a clubhouse on the minor league level?
6: Um, no, it doesn't. Like, I think it helps a little bit more just, like, seasons are long. So just going through college seasons, that kind of prepares you for it. I mean, minor leagues is a different level. But, you know, I mean, come out of high school, you know, you're playing a couple months a year, at least in Wisconsin, just because it's so cold. Right. But, I mean, that's that would be a big jump, you know, High school to college is a pretty big jump. And then, you know, college to professional is a big jump. But skipping that college level, um, I couldn't imagine. That's got to be pretty tough for some guys. But so I think college helped in that regard. You know, you'll go into some slumps every now and then. And in college, um, you have, like, the camaraderie of the team and everything pulling you through. and every, So that just helps to get a little bit more experience, so uh, smooth the transition. But I give a lot of respect to those high school guys who are able to do that. Yeah.
3: Jonathan, just hang tight for a second here. Let me uh, take a quick time out, come on back to you as we uh, get, just get a little bit more on uh, your year, as uh, perhaps uh, Jonathan Stever will be moving up the ladder quickly here for the White Sox as well. Quick time out. It's White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Sox lose today 6 3 as the road. Portion of the schedule is indeed over. Sox are off tomorrow. And then Cleveland in town for three games starting Tuesday night. The Indians one game back in the wildcard chasing the Rays. So those games certainly matter to Cleveland. And then Detroit will wrap up the season four games, doubleheader on Friday, and then single game Saturday and Sunday. We're talking with Jonathan Stever, who pitched for both Canapolis and the Winston-Salem Dash. Just give me one second to remind you, that 2020 ticket packages are on sale now. You can secure your seat with a 20 game plan and find the plan that meets your schedule and budget with lower level plans starting as low as $403. And for more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Jonathan, you had a phenomenal year and now obviously you're trying to build on it. What's your plan for the off season?
6: Um, I'll be in Wisconsin. I got to I work out and in a place in Milwaukee, there's quite a few um, pro guys actually from the area that I'll work out there um, with. And then I just kind of hang around. I got I, I'll work a little bit at the club baseball called Hitters, where I grew up or where I played growing up. But I'll just help out there, you know, just stay around the game a little bit. I'm able to see some some guys and you know throw there, do whatever I need. So I got a, I got a pretty good setup for the offseason.
3: Yeah, More down the street is that you play some fantasy football. How's that looking?
6: Tough. It's been a tough year, so it was it was a rough draft for the we had our Winston team doing it at a tough draft. It was just it's not looking great, but hopefully it gets a little better.
3: what did you have Antonio Brown on there? Where, where are you going wrong? You there? I just wait, hold on, I lost you for a second.
6: Guys, yeah, Cam Newton's having a tough year. Just certain guys, just not great. Yeah, yeah I. I I,
3: I've been uh, tipped off, by the way, by your manager, who says he's playing you yeah. today.
6: Uh, yeah, I know. I, I am playing him today, so I actually am one and one. But it was—I don't know. So we'll see. But it should be a good matchup.
3: Okay. Yeah. He, he 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 claims he's going to smoke you today, Jonathan.
6: Yeah, he probably will. <laughs> I mean.
3: <laughs> All right. So. You have any sense where you'll start next year? Do you, do you think you'll be in Winston-Salem? Do you think you'll get the bump up? Uh, any 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 knowledge
6: of that? No, I don't have any knowledge. You know, either way, I'm gonna just go through the off season. Um, just not even worrying about that really right now because you don't find out until the end of spring training. So I'm just focused on like what can I do this off season to get myself ready for yeah. the next year.
3: Yeah, and combined wise, you know, you threw uh, basically 150 innings, which is the most that you've ever thrown in in one season. How does the arm feel?
6: It's good I mean you, you go through a little bit of a, a dull or a lull in uh maybe early August or so just because it's it's a long season but then would well, you be able to get through that sometimes you know, things look up but uh I felt I felt good I was able to finish the year strong so I was happy with that just because a lot of you never know a lot of guys just talk about how long and once you get to July and August how long those months can be from a pitching standpoint so I was I was happy with myself I was able to finish on a high note.
3: We could give you a chance to shout out one of your teammates that impressed you the most this year. Who would you say?
6: Um, there's a lot. I mean, we had a lot of guys throwing um, really well. I mean, from a pitching standpoint, um, Cade, Cade McClare was in.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: he did great. Just you know, I mean, he had a t- he had a tough injury break his uh, his first full season, so it kind of got set back a little bit. But you know, he's able to pitch through the year. Um, first, really full season for him, and it was it was good. I lived with him too in Winston, so it was able to nice have two pitchers sort of just bounce ideas off each other, or just sort of see what they're seeing or what he's seeing. See he, he's
3: six seven, is he not?
6: <clears throat> yeah, he's a tall kid.
3: Does he fit in the bed in the minor league level? How does that work? Is his feet dangling over?
6: Yeah, it must be. I mean, <laughs> he's a tall guy. Yeah. Uh,
3: and and what about the hitters? Who would you not want to face the most?
6: I mean I got a lot of them I mean Andrew Vaughn watching him come up after a college season oh that's just a long year I mean Steel Walker was great and then yeah, guys I mean top to bottom really you couldn't really go wrong with our lineup we had, we had some good spots but I mean Steel Steel was Steel was a lot of fun to watch just the way he'd go about the game in general and just watch him go through an at bat it was, it was it was pretty cool
3: Who has the most energy in that clubhouse
6: Energy. Steele's got some energy. He's got—he's a pretty enthusiastic kid. Um, Wilkin cannon he's kind of the, our morale. He keeps the morale up a lot. He's always a guy just looking for to make guys laugh and just mess with mess, mess with guys. So he was—he was always one he looked for some energy. Who reads the
3: most? I don't know why these things matter to me, but I, I'm who, very interested. Like who sits who there reads and, the most? Yeah, who's 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 pouring oh. through the whatever New York Times or a, any paper for that matter.
6: There's not a whole lot of that going on. I honestly I'm trying to think. I don't remember seeing anybody at certain times just grabbing a book and reading. Probably should happen a little bit more if you mm-hmm. think about it, but you know sometimes bus rides are long and everything. But I
3: think I'm dating myself. Who's on TikTok the most? Who's on Instagram the most? Who's who's so, whose social media <laughs> that's, presence that's is? The where,
6: gra- that's Will Cannon. <laughs> for sure. He's all over social media.
3: Yeah, I gotta get with the times here. Hey Jonathan, congrats <laughs> congrats on the year. It's uh Big-time move for you moving up and, and pitching as well as you did at Winston-Salem. And uh, good luck with the fantasy team, and we look forward to following you next season, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at Guaranteed Field someday.
6: All right. appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
3: Our pleasure. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN.
1: Here's the 1-1 pitch. High and way back to straightaway left field off of the bat of Adam Angle, and indeed he does drive the baseball out of here for a three-run home run. It's a 5-3 Mariners lead.
3: White Sox Weekly. That was Darren Jackson on the call. Adam Engel who's been playing good baseball. Give Adam Angle some credit. The three-run shot, that one coming back on September the 15th, which seems like a long time ago somehow in like my calendar that I live on, but it was only last Sunday. That was an 11-10 loss to the Mariners. I was actually having an interesting conversation with Dave Zaslowski, White Sox executive producer, on what the White Sox are going to do in the outfield next year. And everyone thinks – that Luis Roberts is going to play center, at least I think that Luis Roberts is going to play center for the majority of the year, and Eloy will be in left. And then who's going to be in right? But you could make an argument that maybe you move Robert to right and you throw a guy like Adam Angle in center because you know he's going to catch everything, and now you're helping out your pitching staff, you put Adam at the bottom of the lineup, the hitting has been coming up at least some this year. That's I, I don't know if that's option number one for the White Sox, but certainly one I'm sure they're bantering about. Hey, don't wait until next season to find out what the White Sox are up to. The Sox are bringing you baseball all year long on YouTube. Get exclusive footage of the offseason, spring training, game days, and more from reliving Burley's perfect game to Kopech's road to recovery. We've got it all. Make sure to visit youtube.com slash Sox. Subscribe to be updated on new content weekly. That, of course, is the way the world is going. Everybody's got a YouTube page, and the White Sox now promoting theirs. That's awesome. Our interview with Jonathan Siever, sponsored by Mazda of Oral and Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, uh, two things are going to happen. Number one, we're going to talk with Blake Rutherford, who started the year out extremely slow at AA Birmingham, was hitting under 200 for a good first two months of the season. But he ended up hitting 265. He was third on the team in hits. And this was a top prospect at one point with the Yankees. And, of course, the White Sox brought him over here with the idea that he'd be in their outfield someday. So I was super impressed uh, that Blake was able to turn around his season. And he's in the Arizona Fall League now. So we're going to catch up with Blake. And my friend, my buddy, a guy that I know a little bit, who's back with the radio station, Jordan Burnfield, is is going to join me on White Sox Weekly right around 5.30. And uh, Jordan will be talking to you from 6 to 7 today. Uh, Jordan's having a very rough day, so it'll be important for you to comfort him and comfort yourself uh, from 6 to 7 this evening. So all that is coming up in a, in a little bit here as our second-to-last White Sox Weekly of the season. Of course, we're with you all off season long. The show moves from two hours to one hour in the offseason. Chicago stories are told 24-7 on 720 WGN Chicago. Smart speaker users just say play WGN radio on TuneIn. Wow,
2: 720
0: WGN the team's flagship radio station.
2: You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox. 720 WGN White Sox Weekly
3: 720 WGN. Pleasure to pick it up with Blake Rutherford who's wrapped up his season at Double-A Birmingham but uh, playing in the Arizona Fall League uh, for the Glendale Sox. I, you're uh you're in the lineup today, are you not there Blake?
5: I am. Yep, I'm in the lineup today.
3: How how's the body feeling here? Deep into September, a long season and you're still rolling.
5: Yeah, um I mean, just taking care of it every day. Um obviously this is the most games I've played. Um but it's uh it's an awesome opportunity out here and uh get to play with a lot of great players and a lot of great coaches, so Um, just an incredible opportunity, but just trying to take care of the body every day and, and, uh, communicate if something's wrong. But as of right now, the body feels good and we're just going to keep on rolling.
3: So I was super impressed by your year because I was following it every day and you were struggling at the beginning of it and it couldn't have been easy and you were able to get yourself out of it. How how do you looking back on at least the double a portion of the season? You know, how are you digesting it all?
5: Yeah. Um kind of the same way you are like this I was um it was the first time that I've really struggled for that long of a period and uh trying to battle my way out of it and and fight and scratch my way out of it and uh to be able to kind of get back to where I wanted to and uh, that was just really important uh to me just to know that I can do it um but overall I thought it was good I learned a lot um I learned a lot just like how to carry myself when I'm struggling um how to battle through and and uh, just how to become a better hitter, just trying to go up there with an approach and, and uh, try and get my pitch and not the pitcher's pitch. And um, that's still something I'm working on out here as I get back into my uh, routine and get my timing back, just trying to get back to my game. Um, but overall, I thought it was a good season, just being able to learn from uh, the first half and kind of turn it around and finish strong and, and have a, a pretty good year overall, finishing strong in the second half what
3: was the hardest part about getting through it? I mean, were you having to make adjustments or is it more just handling, oh, my God, I just went 0 for 4 again. I'm hitting one whatever. What are they, you know, am I going to have a career in baseball? I mean, all that's got to be natural to be going through your head.
5: Yeah, I mean, I would say um, just mentally it was really tough just because you go up there and you're, I mean, during that time I was having a lot of 0 for 4s, a lot of 0 for 3s, uh, an 0 for 5. And if I got one hit, it was like a one for four. Um, couldn't really get anything, like, couldn't string anything together. So it was just tough mentally just to lock it in and and just kind of keep battling through. But um, honestly, my coaches that were with me did a really good job. The players uh, who I played with for a while did a really good job. And, and the thing that was easy was that I had a lot of the same coaches the year before and a lot of the players the year before. So everyone kind of knew. Uh, what I could do when I when I got going, so there wasn't as much pressure from them. It was just a lot of pressure from myself, just to try and get it going faster um, than it was.
3: Yeah, I mean, you had Omar Omar Viscell at, at Winston Salem, and of course, he was managing at AA Birmingham this year. What was he telling you?
5: Uh, just to keep going. I mean, he he had a lot of faith in me the whole time, and and uh, we had a talk, and he moved me to the six hole just just so I could like kind of see some maybe different pitches and and uh trying get myself going that way and um but I mean he stuck with me he kept putting me in there he never really um gave me more days off because I was struggling he just he kept on sticking with me and then um eventually he came back to the time where I, I was able to get it going after the all-star break and uh he moved me back to where I was hitting before and and I kind of stayed there the rest of the season but uh, I mean he, he had a lot of faith in me and the hitting coach had a lot of faith in me and, and uh, when the when you have those guys um, kind of backing you and, and showing you that everything will be alright, along with um, a lot of the coordinators and stuff that came in, just uh, telling you that you're, I'm gonna get out of it. It was it was um, it was it was good to have um, people like believing in you during a time where like you were kind of doubting what you were doing. Did you have to make
3: any major adjustments with I don't know Were you were you stepping different? Were you trying to lay off more pitches and what, what was was there any specific adjustment you made
5: um, not not like a huge adjustment it was more timing and uh, trying to be on time with every pitch and also um, I kind of went back and watched uh, the my uh, hit my um, stance and, and my swing from the year before in Winston-salem and uh, I cut my hands were a lot lower this year and I'm not really sure where that came from because in spring training they were where they were the year before but um, I think that I kinda of just lifted them up a little bit and, and actually uh, kinda of went to the cage with uh, Gavin sheets too and, and we were just doing little tee drills trying to trying to get like my path back to what it always is and, and uh, I was just able to finally kinda of have a click one day and and once it clicked it just became uh, a lot easier to recognize pitches and, and hit the pitch when um, it was it was what I wanted. It's kind of
3: unbelievable, right? You're not even aware necessarily what you're doing. It just, this feels comfortable right now, but it might not be the best thing for you. At least that's what I'm hearing you're saying.
5: Yeah, just, I mean, it was just bad. It was just getting back to where I needed to be and where I wanted to be uh, with my swing and and um, kind of just watching video of, of the last year, the past years, and and seeing where I was and and just trying to get back to that feel. And and sometimes it's just like one minor thing, like putting lifting my hands up a little bit. Um but yeah, that kind of was like the main thing, mechanical-wise, and then just timing. Really, I just I needed to get more on time and uh, be able to recognize the pitches um, that were being thrown to me.
3: So it's interesting. A uh, lot of lot of lot of love being thrown. Gavin cheats as well. I like that pairing for you. Did was he kind of encouraging? Hey, let's do this extra work, or how'd that go with you guys? Were you saying like, hey, let's let's go over here. Will you help me work on yeah. this? Yeah.
5: No, I mean I I was. Um, Always in the caves this year. Um, I did a ton of extra work just with the hitting coach. I'd go uh, early before the game, and then just normal before the game, and then sometimes before the game after BP. And uh, I mean, we, me, and the hitting coach were in there all the time. Um, but Gavin, uh, I was just kind of talking to him about some of my frustrations, like with obviously struggling and everything, and, and uh, he just wanted me to do this drill where kind of put it high and inside. I'm uh, just kind of trying to work down to the ball and not come around it, not come underneath it. And, and uh, I kind of just incorporated that into my everyday team work. And um, it was kind of just something that helped me get on playing with the ball. And, and that's, that's just one thing that helped me kind of turn it around. And Gavin's with you out there in Arizona
3: right now, correct? Yep. Yes. So were you surprised when the Sox called you up and said, Hey, you do you want to go play in the following? Were you expecting that?
5: Um, I wasn't expecting that. I knew um, that, I mean, I obviously knew that there's always a chance with like the fall league. I didn't, no one really had heard um, who was going or anything. And and uh, I got the text and I knew Gavin got the text and uh, I knew it was something I wanted to do and uh, just come and play in this atmosphere and and uh, obviously trying to do good, but like playing a place where you get to play other great players and, and not worry so much about like all the stats and everything, but just worry more about continuing
2: on and, and learning a
4: lot
5: um, and just kind of, enjoying like a time in arizona where you get to play with all the other best players um from other organizations
3: yeah so i was kind of curious do guys throughout the minors do they want to do this or like hey man we just had a huge grind of a year i'm ready to go home
5: yeah i mean i think it's it's uh, a lot of people want to do it just because it's an amazing opportunity um it's a lot of fun out here and and like i said it's it's more of it's a very intense obviously um everyone's competing but it's also very laid back um, out here, it's a lot of mm, how to say, a lot of um, different players, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different philosophies. So you kind of get to just talk to everyone and see what's working um, for all the other guys. But um, I think a lot of guys like to do it just because of um, just how prestigious it is or how many people or how many past players have played in it and, uh, and just kind of how it makes you better just by being out here, like learning from everyone around you.
3: White Sox prospect Blake Rutherford with us here on 720 WGN for a couple more moments. What happened to your
5: Wolverines yesterday, Blake? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, I, uh, I don't really have much to say. I mean, I'm disappointed. I feel like this happens to us every year. We play a great team and we get just crushed by them. But uh, I don't know. I mean, ho- hopefully we can um, – kind of went out but it's gonna be a tough road down there so I guess we I just got to stick with them and, uh, and hope and hope they can uh, turn it around after that loss
3: so we had Jonathan and Steve around the show before you here Blake he was uh, he was talking some love about the Badgers we had Justin Jerseyley manager at uh, Winston Salem I believe you know Jerseysh a little bit and, yep. and uh, he was loving up and and now you're here to, to back Michigan so I don't know if you want to talk anything back to those guys right now but I am giving you the opportunity.
5: No, I mean, I got, I got not Jersh, I know Jersey's uh Wisconsin and, and stuff, but I mean, I don't know. just, I got to stay with my boys and, and um, keep cheering for them. And it's tough. It's been frustrating just um, the last couple of years losing to some of the ranked teams, uh, not being Ohio state. But uh, I feel like if we turn it, if they turn it around and, and uh, kind of went out and also beat Ohio state, it they could definitely save the year. And, and uh, still a good bowl
3: game. Well, long way to go. No, no doubt about that. Uh, Blake, appreciate you taking time. Well, what's the plan after uh, after the fall season? I know in the past you've worked out with you know Ryan Braun and Christian Yelich and Mustakis, a bunch of guys. Um, do you are you planning on doing that this year?
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna probably take like a the rest. Like I think we end on a Saturday. I'll probably take a couple of days off. Probably take a couple of days off and then go from. Um, go from there and i'll go back into the gym and and all those guys i think are going to be back um i know yeld for sure Um, i'm sure Braun and moose will be back too but uh, just working out together and i'm just kind of getting it going obviously this will be a shorter off season than i've ever had just because um usually by october by the beginning of october i'm starting my workouts and and now playing to the end of october i won't be able to start so just kind of taking the time, getting my body right, and just trying to get stronger and, and uh, get it ready for the next season.
3: Well, you were third on the team, Blake, in, in hits. You were third in total bases. Uh, you, you're you, And considering where you started out this year, I thought you did a hell of a job bouncing back. And, you know, best of luck, obviously, with the fall league and having a great offseason and coming back next year. I, I did the same thing with uh, Jonathan Seaver. shout out maybe one guy who you were playing with this year that maybe impressed you the most.
5: Um, man, that's tough. I mean, I mean, it's easy to say sheets, yeah. Um, but I mean, I wasn't even, I wasn't as, I knew that he could do that and, and, uh, he didn't hit as many home runs the first two years as with him, but I mean, I could see the quality, like he's a very, just such a good hitter. Um, and I mean, he, he's a power hitter, but he's also a guy that with two strikes and he the other way. Um, okay. but I mean, I got to say too, I think John Park, uh, who was a pitcher for us, um, I know he was in Winston Salem too. I mean, he had a great year. Um, every time he came to the mound, he dealt good pace, uh, kept the hitters off balance, and and I think his numbers showed for it with uh, how good of a year he had. And especially in Double A, at least, uh, I mean, he he kind of dominated up there.
3: Yeah, he's uh, you know 14 starts, two and a half ERA. That's uh, that's that's not bad work for a, a 21st round draft pick, by the way, out of South Carolina. Yeah, you gotta love yeah. a guy like that who's kind of maybe not on everyone's radar screen, but yet, uh, keeps working and is is rising up.
5: Yeah, no, he's, uh, he dealt for us this year and, uh, it was, it was fun to play behind him, just, um, kind of watch him work and and watch the pace he worked at. And, and, um, I mean, he just, he knows how to pitch. I think that's one of the biggest things is, um, he's got good stuff. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't throw upper nineties, but like with all the pitches he has, he knows how to pitch, he knows how to get guys out. And, and, um, I mean, it showed, like you said, this year with the, with the ERA, you had with, um, the amount of starts he had.
3: Yeah. Blake, good to catch up with you, man. Good luck in the following again. And, uh, thanks for taking time. And it's hard for me to say it, but I will. Good luck to those Wolverines the rest of the way.
5: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Blake Rutherford, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Hope you're having a great Sunday. Sox are headed back to Chicago, getting ready to face the Indians on Tuesday night. Sox fans, we're giving you, we're giving back to you, I should say, on Sunday, September the 29th. For Fan Appreciation Day, as the Sox take on the Tigers, that's a 210 first pitch. For the last home game of the season, you get a chance to win a variety of great prizes for tickets. You can visit whitesocks.com today. Let me bring in my guy Jordan Burnfield, who's taking over the mic at six o'clock, and is joining me on White Sox Weekly. Until then. Jordan, how are you? I am doing great. How are you, Mark? I, I thought it would be most fun just to start off by giving you an assignment and have you read that because I, I thought it would be you know, a good way to indoctrinate you into White Sox Weekly. Commute. Well, it's
7: good because I'm literate, so I will read this.
3: Yeah, outstanding.
7: Sox fans, select your seat for the 2020 season at the Open House on Saturday, October 5th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Come check out what the White Sox and Guaranteed Rate Field have to offer. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or or rsvp at whitesox.com slash open house. How was that? Was that okay? That that was
3: excellent. And uh, for people looking at entertainment options for 2020, the White Sox are an incredible value, and the team is going to be, I think, wildly interesting next year. You're going to have Aloya Jimenez, who I want to talk about in a second here, in a second year. You're going to have Luis Robert playing center field. We'll see what they do with the other outfield spot. That's super interesting. Tim Anderson's going to be going for a back-to-back batting title t- championship if he can hang on here. He had one hit today. Uh, still
7: out in front. And how about Michael Kopech, right? <laughs> Michael Co- I'm super fascinated by him because, like, we got a few starts from him. And you know when you're watching a pitcher that is just so electric that you just have to watch? I found myself every time he was pitching because he's just throwing these BBs up there that – are moving in ways that you don't see fastballs typically move, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, here we go. Like, this is going to be fun, right? We've got a pitcher that's going to be appointment viewing, which we don't always have in this city, but he was going to be that guy. And then it was taken away from us. I'm legitimately really excited to watch him pitch next year. I don't know how great he's going to be, but it just feels like he has the chance of all these guys that they've brought up to be really special.
3: Well, it was electric when he made his debut and – I love that he does stuff off the field. That I read a spot earlier today. He's doing copac cuts. He's trying to raise money.
7: He has outstanding he's, hair.
3: He's getting. He's out, got outstanding hair. He's getting. He's got engaged underneath the waterfall. A lot going on there, but the talent is you know off the charts. So hopefully he'll be healthy and and ready to go. And Dylan Cease is making his final start of the year Thursday night. So the Sox have been very strategic in how they've. Mapped out his year, so he's been able to pitch to the very end of the season, and I think that um, that's one of the successes of this year. Come up to the big leagues, get your feet wet, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to roll next year. But Lucas Giolito is going to be building off a, a huge year, massive turnaround, and the white like four hundred and three dollars for a lower level ticket for twenty games. That's that's t- an amazing value. That's a, that's a yeah. great value. That's twenty bucks a ticket. You're sitting in the lower level.
7: There are some teams in. Baseball that if you paid four hundred three dollars you'd probably get two tickets to one game. You well, I mean, if you like comp- if you went to a Yankee game and you were sitting lower level, that's probably four hundred bucks, right? That's got to be close for, for two tickets. Well, behind the plate, like if you're at a great a great seat at a on a fairly marquee game, I think you're probably paying close to that. You're getting cer- 20 games out of this. Cer-
3: certainly for two tickets. Yeah. And I just, you know, I look at it if you compare it to the other baseball team in town and what the value is, seat price-wise, it it's not close. Uh, and especially for the lower level, That that's just, that's fantastic. Hey, uh, Sox fans, don't forget that Sox Fest is going to return on January 24th and the 25th. There is a new location this year. It's at McCormick Place. The two-day Fan Fest is going to span more than 100,000 square feet, offering more than, more ways to connect, with your favorite Sox stars, Sox Fest 2020 presented by Beggar's Pizza, Guaranteed Rate, Old Dominion Freight Line, Security and Financial, and Wintrust. Two-day passes on sale now. Get yours at whitesocks.com/slash-soxfest. All right. So Aloy Jimenez today hit his 30th homer on the year, 30 in 118 games. Now Jordan, I did the math on this. If you divide 30 into 118, you get a little bit over 25%. And if you multiply that 25 times 162, which is a full baseball season, you get 41.2 homers. So as I extrapolate this out... He would
7: be on pace for a 41 homer season if he played all 162 games. Right, and then you, I'm aware of this math. Yes, this, this
3: is good math, though, right? This <laughs> yes. is my, I'm proud
7: of you for this math.
3: Minorly impressive. Yes, and then let's let's boil in that this was his first season. He's still learning. He's getting to understand the strike zone more. You put some better bats around him. Luis Roberts in the lineup, perhaps a free agent to be. Throw all that in there. I got Aloy Jimenez for forty six homers next year. I think uh, I upped it by three homers since the last time I did this take
7: <laughs> yeah. on the post game show. I, th- man, I think all that's reasonable. Yeah, I think it is. I, the one thing I would say with Aloy, and I think we all knew that the power was there, right? I don't think there was ever any question that he could be a forty homer guy if healthy and played for a full season. My biggest concern for him is defensively. I, I don't think you really have to worry about him as an as a hitter. I think that from an offensive standpoint he will get better with the strike zone. I don't know that he's ever going to be an incredibly patient hitter. Like, I don't know if we're talking about a high threes on base percentage, but if he is a mid threes on base percentage and gives you 40 home runs, there's obviously tremendous value in having that. The biggest caveat though, Mark, obviously is that he's got to be on the field and we've seen at points this year that he has been cost games by struggles in the outfield. And I think that he can improve as an outfielder as his career develops, but I wonder if mixing him in as the DH in some games next year – while continuing to develop him as a defender, might allow for those offensive numbers to be there.
3: Leaping into the wall feet first was not a good decision. <laughs> Probably
7: not the best.
3: And I think he learned from that, and yes. I'm going to anticipate that he won't do that in, in 2020. But that you know that did cost him some time. You're absolutely right. Let's take a quick time out and get uh, news up at 5.30, and then we will uh, look ahead to the final week here. And also our week in review, we got some highlights to play for you. White Sox Weekly till 6 on 720 WGN.
2: At the wall,
0: the 380, gone. A three run homer for Tim Anderson. 3 1 White Sox.
2: Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox
3: Weekly till the top of the hour. Jordan Burnfield till 7. Karen Conti taking over at that point. I'll be back tomorrow. Hamp, OB, and Kaz. We got a 6 o'clock pregame show, uh, Bears and the Redskins, and then a postgame show at 10.30. Celebrate halfway to St. Patrick's Day on Saturday, September the 28th, as the Sox take on the Tigers at 6.10 p.m. That's the last Saturday night game of the year. First 10,000 fans will take home a White Sox-Irish flat cap It's presented by the Chicago St. Patrick's Day Parade. Celebrating their 65th year this March. Get your tickets today at WhiteSox.com. Question for you, 312-981-7200. What in your mind has been the best thing that has happened with the White Sox this year? What in your mind has been the best thing that has happened with the White Sox this year? Jordan Burnfield making his debut on White Sox Weekly. I will start with you. The best thing that has happened to the White Sox this year from your standpoint as we get to the end of the season with one final seven-game homestand to play starting Tuesday night.
7: So I would say everything is in the context of where they are in this rebuild, right? So if we're looking at everything based on the context of that, I would say it's the development of your infield. I mean, Tim Anderson I know has had some injury, but in the mix to win the batting title – has had an outstanding year offensively with a 3.34 average and 18 home runs, and then Joan Moncada, who last year led the league in strikeouts, has developed into an all-star level third baseman with 24 home runs this year and has an OPS over 900. So I feel like, as as exciting as Aloy Jimenez has been to watch from an offensive standpoint, how can you not when you're looking at what pieces you have moving forward? How can you not be excited about the fact that you've got two infielders now that you feel like you can confidently not only pencil into their positions for the future, but pencil in as stars for the future? So that, for me, is is the best development.
3: So what I love about this question is there's just so many options,
7: right? And you could say Giolito, too, which I was close to saying, but I feel like with pitching, sometimes it's less linear. You know what I mean? Like a guy can have a great year and then take a little bit of a step back, but – I feel like we're seeing that Mankata and Anderson every day can be an awesome left side of the infield.
3: So, and I agree, and you've got a five-tool guy at third base. Great arm, runs, switch hits, hits for power. Very rare that you have that all at third base. So, if the White Sox somehow get in a position where it makes sense to bring in a free agent like Anthony Rendon, I don't think they'll be in on him, but – that's a prime guy that's leaving the Nationals as a third baseman. You could, in theory, yeah. move him back to second or even you could even play the outfield, I would think, in a pinch. He's a very talented guy. And Timmy has is one of my, if not uh, my favorite person on the team, he's right at the top. I love him. He's, How can
7: you not love that guy?
3: Right. And to yeah. see his journey to be at the top of all of baseball and batting, no one saw that coming. But I, I actually think we're downplaying Aloy. He had huge hype, and everyone thought he was going to hit home runs and all that. But you still got to see it, man. And to come in here and play 118 games and hit 30 bombs and hitting him to right field, and oh the, and, yeah, and then taking it out and then he hits a bomb today to left. You've got three players in the history of the White Sox who've ever hit 30 as a rookie. And I don't want to. And I know also baseball is a little bit long ball happy right now, so maybe it's inflated when you compare him to Jose Abreu was more of a veteran when he was a rookie mm-hmm. or and you got to go all the way back to Ron Kittle uh <laughs> and I love Kitty one of my favorites but um you know th- those are, those are the guys and he's he's the youngest ever at 30 home runs he's ahead of Frank Thomas
7: yeah I mean that, it's, just, he, it's amazing it, I yeah. mean this is yeah. the,
3: when you think when you project out what's gonna happen like I I really think
7: that this guy's getting downplayed hey man the dude's shooting balls to right field like it's nothing. I think I heard uh, Jason Benetti refer to at least five of Aloy's home runs this year as absolute missiles, which is a perfect way to describe it because when you think about some of the home runs that Aloy hit were just these monster shots. Like these are the things that you were hearing about in the minor leagues all the time. And, you know, with the benefit of the fact that. You can see a lot of these things now. You can watch him hit him in the minor leagues, but it's obviously, like you said, it's a different thing between doing it in the minors and being able to flourish on the major league level. But, yeah, I mean, there's no question that when you think about 30 home runs in 118 games at his age, the power potential is insane. Listen, the fact that there are a lot of different ways you can go with the answer to this question, in my view, is huge for the White Sox this year because this is what this season was supposed to be about, right? It was supposed to be about can you find some answers to some of the questions about who these players are going to be that comprise a winning White Sox team. And I think that you've found several answers this year. You've seen that Anderson, Moncada, and Jimenez, and Giolito are four guys that could be faces of a winning White Sox team. And I think that you've seen them all not only play well, but really exceed expectations in certain ways. So I think that there's a lot of positives that have come out of this season despite the record not being what you'd want.
3: Yeah, ESPN stats and info, which is uh, something I follow on Twitter. Aloy Jimenez hit his eighth homer of September and his 30th of the season. At 22 years old, Jimenez, the youngest player in White Sox history, did 30. The big hurt, Frank Thomas, held the previous mark when he had 32 in his age 23 season. When that one crossed the old Twitter, I'm like, "Whoa, all right, now we're now we're getting Frank Thomas comparisons, right? Hall of Fame Frank Thomas comparisons." I'm not saying Aloy's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but what I don't, if we're being realistic, do I think that Tim Anderson's going to hit 334 again next season? That, that seems like a long putt.
7: No, but the but I he think might, that, but I think what you're seeing though is. I I I would not guess that he's gonna hit three thirty four against again. But what I would say is that I think it's fair to expect that he can be a productive player at a premium position for a long time. Right? Sure.
3: Absolutely. I think
7: that's like there are certain things that I think are hard to repeat. Hitting three thirty four when you're when you're a guy that doesn't get on base with regularity other than by getting hits, you know, there is luck involved in that, obviously. But you know, if he can hit 285 next year, sure. and be a productive player, that's a player you win with. Sure,
3: absolutely. I don't think I, I I'm pro Tim Anderson wearing that uniform on the South Side for for a long time, and I think yeah. But, but I mean, I'm just. But when you look at what's duplicatable, I think Yoan can get better. I think Aloy can get better. I think Jose Abreu is. Probably at the top and going down. I mean, he's career high in RBIs this year. This guy's going to have close to 130 RBIs by the end of the year. And he's been Mr. Consistent, always between 100 and 107. But this is a breakout year, and we'll see what kind of dough he gets in the offseason. I'm hearing quite a bit, and for a short period of time. Maybe he's as high as $50 million for two years, which seems enormous. Yeah. But the White Sox have a lot of money.
7: They do, and they have the ability to spend it. They obviously came up short trying to get Manny Machado last year. So maybe the the big free agent, well, right. But maybe the big free agent comes this year. I think what everything comes down to now for the White Sox is, do they project themselves to make a big jump next year? Or do they project that big jump to happen two years from now? Either way, if it's next year or the year after, at some point you're going to want to add to what you have here with a marquee free agent, right? Whether that's now or ne- uh, whether that's now or next year can be debated. But, and I'm sure, obviously, that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and all the people in the organization have had these conversations for months. But I guess the point is, do you want this crop of free agents or do you want the next crop of free agents? But at some point you're going to have to decide which one are we going for completely, right? What are we going to do is it is there going to be someone that we just decide we're going to have to overpay them because we have to have them in our uniform
3: or at least be at the top of the market? Yeah, you know, and and see if if they if they're willing to come. Hey, we're, we're going to pay you the most money, and we really really want you. We're going to show you that by what we say and also by the numbers on the check that we're offering. So, yeah, I,
7: I mean, unfortunately, in baseball, as we've seen, you have to you have to pay them way more. And you're going to get hurt on the back end of these long-term deals, but that's what it costs to get the best players, right? I mean, is Manny Machado going to be worth $30 million a year at the end of his contract? No, but the Padres decided we're going to give him $300 million because that's what he wants to get paid, and we want him in our uniform. Yeah. I, I, Well, listen, I, I'm not saying I'd want to give those checks out. I'm just saying, unfortunately, it's the reality of the game.
3: Well, right, it, but it, it – and the reality of the game is if you make a mistake on something like that, it's going to have a huge impact on you. So making, yeah. making wise decisions with your money is enormous in building your organization. When you don't do it, bad things can happen like they're happening around baseball for teams that are now have no flexibility because they've spent their money and they've made mistakes. So that's the scary part about it. Yes. Hey, when we come on back here, we'll do our week in review. Uh, my name is Mark Carmen, Jordan Burnfield, sitting in White Sox Weekly with you till 6 on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly 720 WGN. Mark Carmen, Jordan Burnfield, with you to the top of the hour. Jordan sticking around at 6. I'm back tomorrow for some Bears talk. Let's get to our week in review, and we start last Sunday. The Seattle Mariners on the road. It was a wild game. Sox were down 5 nothing. They were up 10-5. They ended up losing 11-10. Part of that comeback, scoring 10 straight runs, was Adam Engel.
1: Here's the one-one pitch, high and way back to straightaway left field off of the bat of Adam Engel, and indeed, he does drive the baseball out of here for a three-run home run. It's a five-three Mariners lead.
3: Since Adam Engel came back from AAA, he has played excellent baseball, and guys like that who can play all three outfield positions can leap over the wall, and now he's getting the. Uh, the offense going as well. I, I'm an Anna Mangle fan, Jordan Burfield. Just want to put that on the record. I would take Anna Mangle on my baseball team. Fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder. Somebody yes. gets hurt. He you gotta have somebody in center field who can run it down and he can do it. And there was a nice that was a sweet three-run homer. Most pleasant addition this year that nobody saw coming, that would be James McCann. This was Monday against the Twins. Barrios on for his second
1: in of work. He deals the first one.
2: swinging a long one to left. This
1: has got a chance to go at the track, at the wall. And that ball's gone for a home run. How about that? Well, you said he was trying to do it. 2 nothing White Sox. It's almost like you don't believe it. Indeed, it it's hit 17 work- of a partner. Off the top of the wall and bounced out of here into the seats. Leadership
3: Jordan Burnfield production. James McCann's been doing that all season long.
7: Hasn't he been an amazing story? I mean, honestly, going into the year, if I told you that James McCann would be in the all-star game, what would you have said?
3: I would have said you, sir, are perhaps had a little, maybe one too many cocktails. Somewhere. Yes, right?
7: I mean, it's it's an amazing story. I hope he can keep this up because he is someone you want to root for, for sure.
3: Yeah, and uh, sign for next year. We'll see if uh, – I, I doubt the White Sox will be doing anything long-term with McCann in the offseason, but you never know uh, how that will go down because they do – James McCann's going to be sought after if, if he keeps on going, and maybe they want to get out in front of that. Tuesday was a wild one with the Twins, a tough, tough loss for the White Sox. Went 12 innings. Sox had the lead twice in extra innings, but gave up the 3 in the 12. Jose Ruiz giving him up as the bullpen was shot. In the middle of that, though, was Ryan Cordell. That one smacked into deep center field. That's going to send Wade back,
0: still tracking at the wall. It's gone. Zach Collins dead center field.
3: A little add-on run for the White Sox here in the ninth inning. Actually, we jumped up a day. That was a 3-1 win for the Sox. I still want to hear that Ryan Cordell home run. Harper from the set. The 2-2. High and deep. This is crutch to left center field. This is going to go for a home run. The White Sox lead now 8-6 on Cordell's homer. Way out of here. Yeah, 8-6, and they end up uh, dropping that one 9-8. You thought the ballgame was over when that one went out of the ballpark. I was at... uh, I was in an elevator, Jordan Burnfield, and I looked to my left, and a uh, gentleman says to me, you do stuff with the White Sox. I was like, Ryan Cordell, how are you? <laughs> it was like 10 a.m. on a Wednesday, he was meeting with his trainer to do whatever extra work that he's doing. Guy works incredibly hard. you got to appreciate that, right?
7: That's great. And the fact that uh, he, recognized, he recognized you, I think, moment. is I, I feel like you have to be You've been telling the story to a lot of people, haven't you?
3: I've walked around and told everybody on the street. Ryan Cordell <laughs> recognized me in an elevator. So it, was, I, it Should
7: be on your business card.
3: Something like it's possible. I don't yeah. have a business card, but if I did, Cordell recognized me in street clothes. Not that I wear the uniform, but you know, not in the <laughs> not holding the tape recorder. This was this was big. Let's go Friday and let's give some love to Aloy Jimenez.
1: Can you say granny? Yes.
0: I can easily say granny. I've been practicing that call, too, so let's see if we can put it into use. There comes the 1-1. And that's driven in the air, deep into right field. Backing up is Dermott. It is gone. A grand slam, you ask, and you receive. 29th home run
3: of the season. And the White Sox have poured it on and lead 9-1. Ended up being a 10-1 final. Look at DJ just calling grand slams. How about that? Doesn't, and uh, way to step into it, Andy Mazur. Yeah, he but,
7: did. He, I, I, love it. That was that was great. You ask and you receive.
3: What a year for Aloy That was twenty nine, and today was thirty. I right, got two more for you. One of them is Jimenez. But before that, Tim Anderson, you've
1: had one hell of a year. There's a high, deep drive, way back left field. This one's gonna go. It's a one nothing White Sox lead on Tim Anderson's eighteenth home run of the season. 334, the batting
3: average. 18 homers Sox ended up beating Detroit 5-3. We've been talking a lot about Timmy. Uh, here's a guy who this offseason, hey Tim, what what are you gonna what are you gonna be doing? Well, I'm, I'm Mark, I'm going to be taking some time off after the season. I'm gonna relax to get away from the game. And then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna work every single day like I did all season long. If you go out to guarantee your eight field and it's three hours, four hours before a ball game, Great chance that Tim Anderson's out there taking ground balls. It's, it's, and he hasn't had a great year at shortstop, at least uh, more errors than he would like, but always working at it and clearly working at it at the plate. Guys like that you want on your team, Jordan Burnfield.
7: That's a, that's all you can ask for, right? That guys are working towards getting better at whatever it is their deficiencies are. And yeah, I mean, he's had some errors this year, but I, st- I still think that Anderson's a guy you win with.
3: Yeah, last one is Aloy, and that was earlier today.
0: 2 0 pitch. In the air, deep into left field. This ball is headed for the bleachers, and it is gone. A two-run homer, number 30 for Eloy Jimenez. And he gives the White Sox a 2-0 lead here in the first inning.
3: You know, we had Justin Jershley, the manager at Winston-Salem, on earlier in the program. And Jersh was talking about Luis Robert and what he likes about him the most. And it was interesting. He said, well, you know, Luis has really taken on the English language. And he's fun to be around, and so I started thinking, it's the same thing with Aloy. The guy did not know English, and he started watching television. I forget what show he was watching, but it was it was some ridiculous like <laughs> Save by the Bell. That would be
7: a great choice. A great choice. I want Zach Morris to teach me English.
3: Right? Why not? And and so he learned English, and he's just whenever you being around Aloy, he's he's just a fun loving, easy going incredibly talented dude and I I think those two are going to have like a just a lot of fun playing together
7: well I will say when I worked in minor league baseball and I used to watch guys at the lower levels learning English and they'd bring in the English teachers to teach the players from Latin America how to speak it those who were really invested in it always seemed to be the guys that were also like the most invested on the field it must just be a personality trait it's like I don't just want to be great on the field. I want to be great at everything. I want to completely invest in what I'm doing. And so, to me, when I hear that, I think these guys are totally invested in what they want to do.
3: It's important, right? That uh, I mean, you're you, you. What'd you do? Single A? What? Yeah.
7: I mean, and that and at that level, when you're in single A, you know, a lot of these guys are either fresh out of college or they're fresh out of whatever you know, Venezuelan or Dominican league that they were in. And so they're. I mean, at the time I was 22 and those guys are 18, 19, 20, whatever. So they're trying to learn another language. And of course, obviously they're in a country that they're unfamiliar with and they're in these small towns in America and they're playing baseball. And that's the one thing that's familiar to them. But it's always a huge ask of them to, oh, can you be a great baseball player and assimilate to a new culture and live away from your family and try to learn a language that you don't know and all these things? And so I really, I really do believe that when you have these young guys that are embracing that and wanting to do it, to me that whenever I used to see guys doing that stuff, they seemed to it was always hand in hand. They were guys that just were totally invested in what they wanted to do.
3: And by the way, yes, over there in that particular corner of the clubhouse, everybody does speak the exact same language of you, so it's easy to just go that route and, yep. and hang with the guys that you know and not uh, step into the uncomfortableness uncomfortableness of learning a new language mm-hmm. like i don't know if i could do it you, if you threw me into the dominican right now and said hey carm go out there and 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 you know perform on the baseball field and then learn a new language and talk to reporters like Jordan Burnfield and Mark Herman, were, it's
7: not easy. <laughs> Listen, I was in Spain over the summer, and I took Spanish all the way into college, and I was struggling big time. So I would need to get like a crash course and, right, you know, babble or whatever, and and get myself back into speaking Spanish the way I would need to.
3: But it's it's just it allows you to bond with your teammates. It makes you feel more comfortable. You're you're playing here, so I, I loved hearing that about Luis Robert, and I love that about Aloy Jimenez, that he's taking it on and he's grabbing the microphone from Chuck Garfine. and. Having fun with his teammates and having fun with the NBC sports crew and sitting there doing White Sox Weekly with us. It's it's really been a joy to be around that guy this season. Uh, let's take our final time out. we got news at the top, and the Jordan will take over. This is
2: uh, White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best